So we are going to pick back up in our series we've been talking about off and on here over the last few weeks. I know we've had a lot of weeks where we've been on and off, and last week I was away at a conference, so I missed you guys, and I'm glad to be back to pick up our series on the attributes of God. And what we're saying when we say the attributes of God is, what is God like? Who is God? Like, can we describe him? Are there things about God that we can identify and that we can know him better um, by identifying those things? And so we've walked through a few of those things already. We've seen six different attributes, and tonight we're going to see three more. And so if you guys want to open up to a verse here as we start, open up to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. We'll get there in just a minute, but have that open as we start. As you're looking for that, I just want to tell you, when I was a little kid, well, first of all, let me ask this question. How many of you guys dressed up for Halloween this year? Any cool costumes for Halloween? Yeah? A few of you, some of you guys did. How many of you guys like get all into it and you like get this crazy costume put together and get tons of candy and you just love it? Anybody? Like three of you? Okay, that's pretty cool. So I was that kid when I was younger. I loved dressing up. And uh, I, I, this one year, I was still really, really little. I told my mom, I was like, I don't want any help this year. I want to make my own costume. We're not buying it. I don't want you to have anything to do with it. I was trying to be like independent. And I wanted to show everybody I can make this awesome costume. And I was going to shock the world with this really sweet costume I did all by myself. And so what I did was I came up with this perfect plan. Like it was the best plan ever because I knew how to shock the world with this. I knew that if I dressed up, are you ready for this? Santa Claus. Now think about it. Think about it for a minute, all right? It's Halloween. You don't expect people to dress up like Santa because you're still waiting for Santa outfits until Christmas. So who in the world dresses up like Santa for Halloween? That's what's going on in my head, right? It's, it's like seamless. It's perfect. This is a great plan because no one's going to... How many Santa Clauses have you seen at Halloween? One. Only if you go to like the mall because they're already like advertising Christmas, right? But not while they're trick-or-treating. Nobody does that. I was going to be the only one. It was a perfect plan. And I was going to make my own costume. So I tell my mom, she's like, all right, fine. It's up to you. But if it fails, like that's on you. So I was like, I got this. So I went and I... (laughs) All right, so I go, you guys have a linen closet in your house? Anybody have a linen? You know what a linen closet is? Like where you keep your bed sheets and like pillowcases and stuff like that. And like if you need to like change your sheets, you go to that closet and find your stuff. So I decide I'm going to raid my mom's linen closet. It's like perfect plan, right? Because I need something like fabric to make my Santa suit out of. So I go and I knew we had these awesome red sheets and pillowcases and stuff. So I was going to use that. So I go and I grab that, bring it back to my room. And then I go, I was like, well, I'm going to have to like shape these things into my, my costume. So I go get my mom's scissors without her knowing. And I come back. And so here's my genius plan is I'm going to take my mom's nice sheets and pillowcases and cut them to turn them into my little Santa cap and my Santa coat. And I had these really sweet, it was up North. It's New England, right? So I had these snow boots, these big black snow boots I was going to wear. And then I pulled a Nacho Libre, right? And I got out my sweats. I had my nice red sweatpants, and I put those things on. And so I looked, man, I had this awesome Santa suit going. But then I looked at myself in the mirror, and I still looked like eight years old. I was like, oh, there's no fur. You know, there's, there's no Santa beard. And so I needed a Santa beard. I wasn't going to buy one. And I don't know how you make one out of cloth, but you know what I had? I had a little white cockapoo. 
It's a dog. It's a little ugly dog. It looks like a rat, okay? But it's got like long white fur. And so I was like, yes, I have the plan. And so I go and I get my little cockapoo, my little dog, and I sneak him into my room. I call him, give him a little treat, close the door. He's locked in, and I still got the scissors. <laughs> and so I cut off what I need, right? And I've got this beard and mustache cut off my dog fully. And I'm like, how do I attach this though to my face? I just have clumps of fur and my dog runs out like half bald, you know, like, but I got, I have to handle this because this is my plan. I can't let it fail. And so I had seen my mom do arts and crafts. She like taught like ladies from church would come to the house and she would like teach arts and crafts and stuff. And I had always seen her and she used this really cool gun that made like things like stick. And I was like, yes, that's it. That's what I need. So I go and I get that gun and I get to like plug it in the wall and stick one of those cool sticks in there. I'm like, this is perfect. And I'm like, yes, I'm just going to glue it right to my face. Well, no one told me that that thing is like the temperature, the surface of the sun, right? And so like, I'm just squirting this, whoo, I have some burns and some blisters. Let me tell you what, that, that plan failed miserably. All right, so I run out of <laughs> I run out of my room, and I'm screaming, and I got dog fur just like all over my face on one side. I'm wearing cut up red sheets. My mom's like, "What in the world just happened in that room?" Right? I, I can say that I thought this was going to be the best plan ever. Unfortunately, I didn't have all the facts. Right? Like I didn't know that that glue was going to be so hot. I had no idea until all of a sudden it's burning my face off. And so sometimes you, you might have had a plan like that in your life, right? You're like, I had this all figured out. But because I was missing a few facts, this thing just crashed and burned. And a lot of times our lives can be like that. We plan things out and we think we have it all figured until we don't, right? And even the best plans can fail. And here's something really awesome. As we approach who God is, right, we're describing these really cool attributes of God Something that we can know about God is that God is wise. And you're like, I thought that was going to be much like more shocking than that. I get it. He's wise. But do you really get, when we say that God is wise, the full extent of what that means? We learned earlier that God is immutable. And we, we learned that word is like this big, crazy word. And all it means is he doesn't change. God doesn't change. And so if God is wise and he doesn't change, he is always wise. There's never a moment of weakness where he forgets one detail. There's never one piece of his plan that's going to be flawed and fall and break, and then you're going to end up burning your face off. Like That doesn't happen with God because all of his plans are perfect because he is forever unchangingly wise. Doesn't just mean that he's super smart, and he is, and he has all the knowledge, but wisdom is even bigger and deeper than that. So I had you guys open to Romans eleven Let's read that real quick. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Right? I have a little different version here, but The deal is, we can't even get to the bottom of God's wisdom. Like, God is so wise and so knowledgeable that we will never, ever, ever be able to attain the knowledge that God has, the full extent of it. Like, we will spend all of eternity literally getting to know more and more and more about God without end because there is no end to his wisdom. 
That's what we're being told here in Romans. It's so deep. The riches of his wisdom. Listen, y'all, that is great news for me. Here's why it's great news. Because, like, my plans always seem to fail. But when I know that I'm able to trust in the wisdom of God and God's plans, then I don't have to worry about the plan failing. Even better when God says, hey, Rob, I want you to stop what you're doing. And I want you to go this way. And I want you to try to do this thing. And I look back at God, I'm like, that's really scary because I'm comfortable here and I'm doing well here and I'm successful on this path. And then you're telling me just to stop it and go there. But I don't, that's a dark, like, I don't know that path. And so that's scary to take those footsteps down that path, God, because I don't know where you're asking me to go and I've not done it before and it's not comfortable anymore. And by the way, why would you ask me to stop this awesome thing I'm doing? And in that very moment, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to truly believe and act on the fact that God is eternally, infinitely wise. So when he says, hey, Rob, stop, pause, turn around and go this way, you know what? I could trust him. I could say, you know better. You know what's down that path. You created the path. You can see in the dark. You can see around the corners. Nothing is going to surprise you or shock you because you have every single detail that's needed to know that this path is better than the one I was on. So when you ask me to change my whole life and go to Africa or go into ministry or just go do something completely different than what I'm doing, I can trust you as shocking and as big as that might seem to be. Some of you guys are sitting here and you're like, I'm in 11th grade, 12th grade. I'm starting to think about plans. I'm thinking about college, where I'm going to go. I'm thinking about what I want to do in the future. And maybe some of you are already set. You're like, I know the thing. I'm successful at this. I'm talented at this. I'm comfortable in this thing. And you know what? This seems like a really safe road. I want to do this. And God might be going, hey, stop. That is not the road for you. And I would ask you tonight, very personally, I would ask you, would you be willing to listen to him and say, God, if you're really calling me to change this, you got it. It's scary. I get it. But if God's asking you to do it, you know what? You don't have to be scared. It's going to be so much better than anything you could plan for yourself. Because God is infinitely wise. There's no end to his wisdom and his knowledge. And so listen, I would hope that that would cause you to trust him more, right? Like fill our hearts with faith, knowing that we've got a God that doesn't just ask us to do things like, oh, that might be cool, try it. That's not our God. Our God's like, I've seen the end and past beyond. Like I've seen into eternity. I know everything. Will you just trust me that I do? You see, it shouldn't be a hard sale when you know that about God. But for some reason, it still is for all of us. Because we can't see into eternity. We don't know all the details. And so when we look at God, we just assume he doesn't either. We try to make him small like us and assume he's just like us. But we need to realize he's nothing like us. He's so far beyond anything we could ever be. And he's he's trustworthy. He's all-knowing. 
is perfectly wise. And so when he asks you to do something, you could say yes. And you can trust that he's got it all figured out for you. The thing that holds us back, it's called faith. Will you take your faith and just place it in him and say, God, you really do know what's best here. Sometimes we think we know better, though, right? We try to, like, work life out on our own. I do it all the time. And then God's like, see, I told you, just do it my way, but with a much less angry voice than I just used, right? So, like, an example is when I was younger, my my Dad loves woodworking. My dad is an incredible carpenter. And so he always tried to like train me to do that. And I loved working with him growing up, just working on wood and making furniture and making different things. He would take the ugliest pieces of wood and turn them into these unbelievably beautiful things, right? And I was like, I want to be able to do that. And so I would work with him all the time. And I just made so many mistakes along the way, you know. I, was, I remember once I was out in the garage and we were working on this one project and he gave me this hand chisel. He wanted me to learn how to use like hand tools, you know, not all this electric stuff because that was, you know, that's just, those are no good. <laughs> so old school, he's put this like hand chisel. Now a chisel you use, you don't know what that is, you use it to like chisel out carve out like things from wood, right? It makes sense why they call it a chisel. And so you would think it's easy, but as I'm trying to do this thing, I am just working and working and trying to like bang the end of this chisel into the wood to get it to carve. And I am doing it. My dad goes in the house and he's doing his thing. And he comes out a little while later and he is expecting to see this beautiful end product that I worked on because I'm his son, right? And he's a great carpenter. And so he walks out and he looks and is like, I have done literally nothing, but I have been working on this thing for like 30 minutes and I'm just, literally nothing has happened to this wood. It just looks a little scuffed up. And I'm like, I just don't know what's wrong. I'm about to lose it. And he just grabs a chisel out of my hand. He turns it around and he puts it back in my hand. And he's like, now hit it. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, when you use it the right direction, it starts to carve the wood. It's amazing. I had just had it backwards the whole time. Why? Because I just wasn't familiar with the tool. So many times we're holding life and we're like, man, I know how to do this, God. And we're just chiseling away at nothing. We think we have it figured out. We think we know how to do this life thing. And God's like, listen, all I got to do is come around here and show you. Let me just turn the tool around in your hand. Let me just point you down the right path. Will you just listen to my wisdom and stop trying to just force it yourself because you'll just sit there and spin in circles. If you really want to follow Jesus, if that's something you're like, in my heart, that's really what I want to do. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God. Stop trying to do it yourself. That's not how he designed it. If you want to follow God, do it his way. You see, God is ultimately wise. And if you trust his plan and put your faith in him, all of a sudden you're going to start to see that chisel carve in your life. You're going to be like, this is exactly what God was talking about when he called me down this path. But it requires you to actually believe, actually trust the the master who knows. And he's going to help you through. The next thing about God I want us to look at tonight is this. Not only is God wise, but God is faithful. God is faithful. Now listen, read with me Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God 
keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, some of you guys walked in tonight and you're like looking at my shirt and you're like, immediately, like we're triggered. There's a rainbow on Rob's shirt. What's happening? Oh my gosh. Call the churches down the road. First Baptist is totally changed with theology. Like we're freaking out. Like why is there a rainbow on my pastor's shirt, right? And we take a minute and we read it and we're like, wait a minute. Wait, hold the news. This is an ark, right? Noah's ark. And Noah's ark was famous for what? A rainbow. (laughs) And rain. Yes, rain. The thing is, this rainbow is really, really important. And we have lost the meaning in today's culture because parts of our culture have said, we want that for ourselves. We're going to just take the meaning and twist it up and change it and turn it and stamp on it and make it ours. Even though the God of the universe said, this is my symbol. Human beings like us, small, finite human beings decided to say, no, God, let me steal that out of your hands and try to make it mean something else that's twisted and perverted from what you meant it to mean. Well, here's the deal. This rainbow, it's a symbol of God's faithfulness. This is a covenant that God made with humankind. After one of the greatest calamities that could ever happen on this planet, everyone was wiped out except for one little family on a boat. It's a manimal. And in the sky, God said, I will never repeat this again. I will make a promise to you that I will keep for generations and generations. And I'll mark it by putting this rainbow in the sky. So every single time you look at it, every single time you see it, every time it rains and one comes out, you won't go, oh, it's raining. Maybe he's going to destroy us again. You'll go, our God is faithful. Our God keeps his promises and his covenants. And I never have to doubt that. So when he goes, hey, I'm wise, so believe my plan, the next step is to say, I can believe that wise plan because you're faithful, because you keep your promises, because you will never turn around, never go back on your word like so many people in my life. How many of you guys can attest to that? Like, don't raise your hand, but like, right, you have friends and family and people in your lives who have promised you things, and you're like, man, nobody keeps their promises. Well, guess what? He does. God is infinitely faithful. Remember, he's unchanging, so that means he's always faithful. He never is not faithful. There's never one second or one moment where he's like, man, I'm just so tired of what you're doing. Maybe I'll just, boop, you know, like right off the earth. Just see ya, you know, one of those. He could do that. He doesn't. Not even for a second. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you think you're trying his patience, God doesn't even have one blip in time where he's like, man, I'm going to go back on my word. Because he's faithful. He's so much more faithful than we could ever be. That's beautiful. Because that means I can always put my faith in him. I can always trust him. Even in the scary times, in the scary moments. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 2.13. It says, we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
I could be absolutely faithless. I could look up at God and be like, I'm so mad at you right now for all the things you let happen in my life. I don't even think you're there anymore. And I deny you and doubt you and I walk away. And you know what? God looks back at me. He's like, I'm still faithful to you. You might turn your back on me, but I will not deny myself the fact that I am forever unchangingly faithful to you. So no matter what you do, it's not linked to that, right? Rob Jones's actions, when I decide I'm going to walk away in my tantrum or whatever I'm doing, he doesn't give up because his faithfulness isn't based on me. It's based on him. And he is forever unchangingly faithful to a turd like me that doesn't deserve it. And I bet if we were honest in this room, there's a lot of us who would say that about ourselves too, right? I don't deserve God's faithfulness. But for some reason, he loves me. And he chooses to forever be faithful to you, to us, to undeserving sinners. He still loves us and he's still faithful. He can never not be faithful. You know, God, because he's faithful, he never forgets anything either, right? Like he's faithful to follow through with the things that he started. He never fails to do anything that he set out to do, right? He never changes his mind and takes a promise back. So that means that as you're walking this path he put you on, that was scary to take that first step, that was scary to like go down that path, and as things come And you're like starting to doubt now, like, man, I'm already 10 steps down this path God's leading me down, and these things are happening, and the ground's getting shaky, and I'm wondering, like, did I make the right choice? Did I make the right choice when I started coming to this crazy youth group? My friends told me, don't go there, they're weird, you know, and we're still weird probably, I mean, I don't think that changes, but whatever the path it is that God might have put you on, and you're somewhere down that road already, You know what you can believe? His faithfulness doesn't change. So that means whatever he started you on, he's going to finish it, right? Paul says that he is faithful and just to complete that work in you that he started. And so if he sent you down the path, he's going to keep you leading you right down it to wherever he wants you to end up. Will you trust it or will you stop and go, nah, I'm out, man. This is too scary. Things are shaky. I'm done. And you run back the other way. That's your choice. But he says, even when you do it, even when you run away and you're faithless, he remains faithful. He keeps that path lit up and says, come on, I'm not giving up on you. You might run away 10 times. I'm going to keep chasing you down and leading you down the right path. That's what a good shepherd does, right? When the sheep run off, they should be able to trust that the shepherd wants to take care of them and lead them, right, to food and to water and to safety and but yet they're like, see, I'm all over the place. What does that shepherd do? Like, oh, forget you then. I'm done with you. Like, I got more sheep. No, it, the Bible literally says God will leave the, leave the 99 and go after the one that runs away to get them and to bring them back. You know why? Because our God is faithful. Like, why is that so important? Why did I wear a controversial shirt tonight, right? By the way, I got this at the Ark Encounter, right, that, place in Cincinnati. That's where I was last week at this conference. Because this image, this symbol, 
our world has grabbed onto so strongly today and seems like that the church is just the enemy of this group of people for some reason. When really the church is running in there trying to rescue people and love those people and bring them to the truth of Jesus, not their enemies. The world wants us to think that and to believe that. You know why? Because usually if you talk to people, and I've talked to many people from that group, here's what the number one thing they say is, basically God's not faithful. And I went to church when I was younger. And then I had this change of feelings inside of me, and I changed my lifestyle. And all of a sudden, I felt different, but the church wasn't letting me be different. And so the church was looking down on me, and the church was judging me, and the church was not allowing me to just live in this. And so, God must be terrible. It's not faithful. God turned his back on me. Why would he allow me to feel these feelings and the church not accept me for who I am? And see, what they've done is they've mistook this entire thing of what's happened. In the middle of pain, it's easy for all of us to do. When we're hurting and we feel rejected, you know what? We don't see clearly of what's actually happening. But if they were able to stop, and this is what I share with people in conversations like this. Our God is infinitely faithful. Our God is unchanging and always faithful. And there are so many moments in people's lives. Listen, we don't even have to just talk about this. We could talk about lots of moments where people would look at us and go, hey, God's unfaithful because, and then they fill in the blank. And some of you sitting in these chairs tonight might look at me and go, I think that too. Here's my blank that I'd fill in. God is unfaithful because of this. Listen, the Bible is full of places where we could stop in the middle of a story and go, God's unfaithful. It's full of them. You turn a couple pages, you're going to find another one and another one. Think about Daniel as he's sitting, being thrown into a lion's den. If we just hit pause on the movie right there and say, okay, that's where we stop. How does God seem faithful when Daniel's getting tossed in to be eaten by lions? He did the right thing. He prayed. He followed God. He did what God told him to do. How is that God being faithful? God didn't look very faithful when Joseph was lying in the bottom of a pit that his brothers threw him in there because they were going to sell him into slavery, and he's waiting to be sold into slavery. God didn't look very faithful to Joseph as he's down in that pit. Jonah, when he is in the belly of a whale being devoured and he's a prophet of God, it doesn't seem like God was being super faithful in that moment, right, to protect his prophet. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? As they're being thrown into a furnace that's just blazing with fire, God didn't seem faithful in that moment. How about when the Israelites were trapped between a Red Sea and a sea of Egyptian chariots and spears. God didn't seem very faithful there. But see, the problem is that we're stopping in the middle of the stories. And when we're in the middle of our hard time, our test, our pain, our suffering, it's easy to look up to God and go, right now, you don't seem faithful. But the problem is you hit pause. 
and you're waiting on the fact that God is always going to come through in every situation. You know that every single situation I just mentioned in the Bible, God came through if we had just hit play again and seen it play out, we'd see Daniel be rescued as the mouths of those lions were shut. And the next day he's chilling with some lions, like the Christian version of Tiger King. He's just in there just like chilling. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up at the bottom of a furnace, and there's not even ash on them or the smell of smoke, and Jesus is walking around with them in the fire. Like every single one of these stories, this Red Sea is split in half so that the Israelites can walk through it, but we hit pause, and we never saw the split. We didn't see the miracle. We didn't wait to see God show up and bring victory in our lives. breaks my heart that people would look at God that way because they're not looking at the whole story. They're hitting pause in the middle of their hurt. They would just wait and see God show up and bring victory. Listen, God never promises that Christians aren't going to suffer, but what he does promise is that we will never be condemned. There's no losing. We might suffer, but we'll always have the victory because God's always going to come through. But here's what we need to stop doing. You want to follow Jesus and you want to grow in a relationship with Jesus? Here's what you should do. You see, we keep trying to pray away these situations. We want to avoid them. But maybe God wants to spare you in the situation. Maybe God wants you to be in the bottom of that pit when he shows up and says, I'm right here. Just when you think it couldn't get worse, God's like, I never left you. I've always had this perfect plan. I've seen the end of time. I'm faithful. I never stepped away for one second. When you're trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, God's like, I've been here the whole time as he splits those waters back. As you're sitting there crying in your pillow at night, like thinking, like, how am I going to get through another day? I don't even want to wake up tomorrow. And God's right there going, listen, there's hope tomorrow. Just as sure as that sun's going to rise, I'm bringing hope into your life. There's going to be victory. Stop hitting pause. In the middle of that hard time and trial is exactly when God wants to show up and be like, listen, I've never left you. <laughs> And I will never forsake you. So be careful looking at those snapshots of life and throwing blame or judgment on God. Wait until the story is over. Because you will see every single time God is always faithful. He's always on his way in those moments, right? He's just on his way. And in those moments, here's what you should do. You should pray. Get on your knees like Daniel Joseph in the bottom of that pit, like Moses standing in front of that sea and just say, God, I need you right now. I know you're faithful, and I know you're on your way, so hurry up. I'm waiting. And watch what God does in your heart. Here's the problem is a lot of us, I think Paul's going to say it better than me. I'm just going to read you this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Listen what Paul says. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Right now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's like looking into a broken mirror and thinking we have a good picture of what's, what's standing in front of it. And sometimes we look at these things in our lives and we're looking at a broken mirror and Paul's saying just trust in God because when God shows up, you're going to see things clearly and you're going to realize he's never, ever left you. You could trust that your God is faithful. The last thing I want us to look about, at, about God tonight is this. God not only is wise and faithful, but what flows out of that is that God is good. Everything God does, he's always got good motives because he's unchanging. So if he's good, he's always good in every single moment, even in those pit moments. Even in the lion's den moments or the furnace moments, those moments, you can still believe God is good even right now. You ever talk to somebody? I visit hospitals a lot as a pastor. It's something that we do. We'll visit sick people in the hospital. We'll pray for them and just talk to them and be with them. And so often, time and time again, as I'm visiting these people who are sick, some of them are like cancer and are terminal, or like there are some bad things that we have to bump up against as we walk into these hospitals. And you know what? These people typically, typically, which blows my mind that it could be typical, that these believers are sitting in these hospital beds and they're talking about their Jesus. I'm just like, what would I be doing if I had that prognosis? My doctor just told me that I have this thing and I'm sitting in the hospital bed. What would my heart be full of in this moment? Would it be anger at God or rage? Would I be sitting there talking about Jesus? I love to hear these stories because even in the moments of pain that these people are in, they're like, my God is faithful and my God is good. See, they get that about God. So often I've been told that. I've seen these, these sick people witnessing to their nurses, telling their doctors about Jesus. And they're full of hope. And even though you can tell they're obviously in pain, I've seen so many people be an example in my own life to remember this very thing right here that we're looking at. Our God is always good. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard life might become at certain points, God, he doesn't change. He's always good, and you can trust that. I love this, too, because if God's always good, you know what flows out of goodness? Mercy. (laughs) The fact that Jesus was willing to go to a cross and die for an undeserving person like me to forgive me, that's called mercy. He held back this punishment I deserve. He took it on himself. And you know why he had mercy? Because he's good. If he was bad, he would not have mercy on me, believe me. He'd be like, you're not worth it. I don't care about you. But because he is so good, he's able to look at a broken person like me and say, I have mercy on you and I love you. And sometimes it's just easier to affirm that goodness, right? When everything's going well in life, we're like, life is sweet, God is good, I can sing worship songs, and like everything is great, and so I think God's great, and I'm telling everybody about him, and then all of a sudden this moment hits, and the story changes, and I start to doubt if God's actually good. Why would he let this happen? Why would he let bad things happen to people in the world, little kids suffering, going through horrible things you hear about all the time in the news. 
How could a good God let that happen? And so I'm always asking that question, right? But in the good times, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, life is awesome. And I listen to the words of King David in this psalm. Psalm 34, verse 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What's really cool about this is that David doesn't say, hey, know this, study this, learn this, say this, believe this. He says that we can taste it. He says that we can see it. You can literally experience the goodness of God. You don't just have to take someone's word for it. You don't have to listen to some crazy preacher on a stage always telling you how good God is. You can literally meet him, engage with him, have a relationship with him, and watch him be good in your life. God wants to interact with you, and he's just waiting. And as you turn to him and say, God, let's do this thing, right? Like, you're going to taste and see how good God is, and that's not easily forgotten. You can experience his goodness. Now listen, you're like, oh, David, yeah, he's in a good time of life, right? It's, he's singing this like, this psalm, it's this beautiful song, taste and see the Lord's good. There's probably harps going on because everything's great. You would think that, right? But if, as we go through this chapter and the rest of this song that he wrote, if you skip down to verse 19, we read this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. <laughs> Wait a minute. David's talking about some like really tough time in his life. He's considered, he's like, I'm righteous. I'm a righteous king. I follow the Lord. I, I follow the, his commandments. And yet all these afflictions and these horrible things are happening to me. But yet, hold on, wait. Didn't he just say, taste and see that the, the Lord is good? In the middle of all the trials and afflictions and pain, all these things that he's seeing in his life, he's like, hey, taste and see the Lord's good. That seems like it conflicts, right? Why would David say that. And then he says this, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Yeah, we're going to go through difficult things. We will experience pain. You know why? Because we sinned. We broke the world in the garden. And so for thousands of years, we've been living in the repercussions of that. And even today, there's repercussions for sin. We will suffer. But Jesus won the battle, the ultimate battle, so that even though we might suffer, we will never lose. There will always be victory. God will always deliver us out of, not just some of them, not just a few of them. He delivers him out of them all. You see that word? Everything. That means even the thing you're going through tonight. Even that thing that's happening in your family in your house, in your school, in your heart. If you follow Jesus, he promises he will deliver you from them all. Listen, evil happens, but verse 22, if you jump down to there, listen what David says. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There's no finality. There is no winning for sin or hurt or pain or trials in your life. Jesus has already beat it all. If you trust him, there is always victory in Jesus. Don't hit pause in the middle. Wait for him to work it out. Trust him and let your heart grow in faith as he's working because he promises to bring you to victory. 
I want to end with a story I want to tell you about. And I'm going to call this, I don't want to say his name, even though this was many years ago. Okay, I'm like 100 now. This is a long time ago. I'm going to call him Frank, if that's okay. That's not his name. But I'm going to call him Frank just to protect his identity. But this kid named Frank was like a freshman in high school and had never gone to church. Didn't really know anyone that had gone to church. He lived across town here in Merritt Island. And his, his dad left when he was a little kid, so like he had no clue who his dad was. And his mom had remarried. She was a drug addict. She married a drug addict, so his stepdad was a really mean, abusive drug addict. And he would make him, he would, he would look at Frank and be like, hey, I want you to go out. There's a guy down at the end of the road, which is a drug dealer. I want you to go meet him. I want you to go get the drugs. I want you to bring it back to the house. And this became a regular thing. He became like a drug Uber, like for his stepdad, like literally. And so he would go pick this stuff up and bring it back. And one night, he, or when actually it was, a, it was a afternoon, he got sent out. And he goes down there. And the guy didn't show up. And he waited and he waited and the guy just never showed up. So finally, after a while of waiting, he goes home. Every time he would come home and didn't have what he was sent for, you know what a stepdad would do? He'd lock the door. So you're sleeping outside tonight, and he would literally have to just sleep outside. Some nights, you know, that was a lucky night for him. He said some nights he would be so mad he would just beat him. And so this one particular night, he was just done. (laughs) He's like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. And he told his stepdad. His step's like, gave him the money. He's like, go get it. He's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And his stepdad just beat him. I mean, beat him. I'm across town. I'm sitting over here at the time in Firehouse in that office. Sunday afternoon, I didn't know Frank. I had no idea who he was or that this was going on. I'm just chilling on a Sunday night, waiting for a Bible study later on that night, just all alone. And I hear the glass door in there just bang, 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 like a lot of you guys do. And so I just go and fling the doors open, and it's a student probably, right? So I just go fling the door open. And when the door opens, I see Frank, who I did not know. And immediately as the door opens, he falls. He like collapses on me, and he is just covered in blood. I mean, lots of blood. And I grab him to keep him from falling. I bring him in and try to clean him up. I call the authorities. As we're sitting waiting for the sheriff's department and others to show up, we had a chance to talk. And he... We introduce ourselves. We find out some of his story, and he's so honest and so candid with me, and he shares with me what's going on and with his stepfather and all these things. I'm like, bro, you are safe here. And so he was able to be treated medically, and, and things were handled in his life, right, to the point where a few weeks later he is already in this, like, safe place, and he's able to, to come to Firehouse. I never thought I'd see the kid again, but all of a sudden, there he, on a Wednesday night, he's there. He's walking in, and I'm like, you're that dude. Like, you're Frank. And he, he's like, yeah, I'm here. Like, I felt like this was a safe place. He started to come to Firehouse. 
Eventually, he got saved. He accepted Jesus. He got baptized here at Firehouse. This dude was living what most of us would consider a horror story. That was his life. Eventually, Frank leaves. You know, he graduates, goes off and does his thing. And I didn't see him. I hadn't seen him for years. I'm thinking, man, I hope that kid's cool. You know, like, I hope everything's good. And I hear bang, bang, bang on the glass door on another Sunday afternoon just sitting there. And I fling it open like I always do. And now I see Frank there at the door again. But this time, he's not covered in blood. He's not falling into the door. He's standing there with the biggest grin on his face I had ever seen in my life. And instead of falling and collapsing on me, he reaches out and bear hugs me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? And then I realized who he is. It like took a second to register, and I couldn't believe it. And he sat there, and you know what he told me? How God had been moving in his life all these years, how God had done all this amazing stuff. And I got to just sit there and listen to the things that God had done to turn Frank's life around. And I will never forget the words he told me he said, the whole reason he stopped here. He didn't have to. He was in the area, and he just had to come knock on the door, and he figured it was a Sunday afternoon. Rob's going to be there. And then I was. He said, thank you for being here when I was a kid. Thank you for introducing me to Jesus. Listen, that has nothing to do with me. Jesus changes lives. Frank could have easily looked at his life and been like, this is trash. I'm getting beaten every day by the people who are supposed to be taking care of me. I'm getting sent out to get drugs for my so-called parents. Could have just gave up and said, God, you're terrible. You're not good. You don't care about me. I don't care what the church says. But you know what? Instead, God showed up, and he didn't push pause on his story, and he saw God come in and redeem his life. And there he was standing there. God had completely changed this kid. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you're having a hard time believing that your God is faithful and wise and good, I've seen it over and over and over again with my own eyes. And you can trust that he is. So if you're struggling with that tonight, do the only thing we can do. Would you just pray and say, God, I can't do this. Would you show me that you're good? Show me that you're wise and faithful. And I guarantee you, if you don't hit pause, he will come through for you every single time. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? We're about to sing another song. And as we do, I just want to ask you guys, like, just think about your life right now. Would you just honestly ask yourself, like, do I really believe my God's faithful? Do I believe he's going to show up for me and no matter what moment I'm in in my life, he's there and he's good? Do you really believe that? Or are you struggling tonight and there's a part of your heart going, I'm just not sure God's good. There's too much evil in the world or there's too much happening in my own heart and life. And I just don't know tonight, Rob, if I can admit that he's good. 
Maybe tonight you're willing to say, God, I surrender. I decide tonight to trust you and your goodness and your faithfulness and say, Lord, I follow. I'm not going to hit pause of my story, but I'm going to watch you play it out in my life. Is that you tonight? If it is, would you just raise your hand up? Just say, that's me. I want to tell God, like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm all in on this the whole way. Yes. That is awesome. Yes, you guys can put your hands down. Thank you for being honest. Maybe, maybe there's someone here tonight, like, I've never met this Jesus you're talking about that can save me and forgive my sin, but I'd love to know who this Jesus is. I'd love to know that I'm saved and forgiven and I'm good with God. If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand up and say, Rob, like, I don't know Jesus, but I would love to know how to be saved and forgiven. Is there anybody in here that would say that tonight? Slip your hand up just so I could pray for you. That's awesome. You know what? Let me pray right now for us. Father, you're at work in this room. And we know the truth. You're at work everywhere. Because you're that big. You're that trustworthy. And tonight, for all of us who might be struggling with our faith, struggling with whether or not you're good or just things in our lives, God, would you fill our hearts with faith? Would you remind us how good you are in every moment, even the difficult ones? For those who raise their hand, God, I pray you would do a powerful thing in each of them. God, show up in ways that they can't deny. Show them your faithfulness. Show them your goodness. God, that they would walk out of this place tonight and be lights to the community to say, look, God is evidenced in my life. Just look at me. Just look at my life. He's been good to me. Cause us to believe it with all our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Hear us as we worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.